Hello, hello, hello. We are back for another episode of My Heart on Pages. And I'm so excited today because I have a special guest with me today. And her name is Dr. Naima Olatunji. Did I say that right? You did a great job. <laughs> because you know how we do, we will mess up a name. Yes. Not on purpose, but we will mess up a name, girl. My name is Laquita. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I've been called everything under the sun. My dad yeah. used to say, it don't matter. Just don't say, hey, you. Thank Just you. Don't say, hey, you. So you. she is the author of Raised as a Lie. And I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest today. And I know life is crazy and things get busy and things get hectic. So to have you here is an honor. Thank you so much. I so honored to be here and have this conversation with you. It's really an exciting time for me. And it's an even more exciting time to get an opportunity to sit and speak with other Black people in the publishing world. Like that is so dope to me. I didn't even, before I started this journey, I had no idea that we existed in this space. So this oh, is yes. exciting. Oh, yes. And that's why I love this platform, because my heart on pages gives authors an opportunity to talk about their story, the why behind their story, because everybody has a reason, you know, because we know everybody has a story, right? 100% of everybody living and dead has a story. And my heart on pages gives authors the opportunity to share their story in a comfortable, casual setting. So I'm so glad you're here. And I want to jump right in. So before we start talking about raise as a lie, because girl, I'm loving the cover. Oh my goodness, I am loving the cover. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But please tell us about yourself. Tell us who you are and, and you know where you're from. And you're in Georgia right now, right? But are you from Georgia? No, ma'am. So originally, um, oh gosh, so we're just going to call it the Southwest. I've been all over uh, Southwest. I spent the majority of my years in Southern California um, and um, I have beginnings in a very tiny town in rural uh, Utah. And after, um, after Southern California, 14, 14 years ago, we re relocated here to Atlanta, Georgia, and it's been, um, it's been a crazy ride because we got here in August of 2008, the economy crashes, January, we have um, that following January and over the course of the next two years, my husband was unemployed. We lost mm -hmm. everything. It was um, a really challenging, crazy time uh, for a lot of folks. And we were definitely one of them. And it birthed the opportunity for me to go back to school. I originally thought that I was going to pursue my passion at the time, which was midwifery. And I wanted to open my own um, birthing center. And I was really excited about that. And I had started going back, um, taking a little bit of you know courses here and there to fill prerequisites. And I was going to get my master's in midwifery at Emory University. So we relocated here, I'm super excited. Everything's going fantastic. And then Emory says no. And oh, no. I, oh, I said no. 
They said no, girl. They said after no. you after you relocated here. Yep. Yeah. Oh wow. And yeah. I just knew that it was a sign from God. Like I knew it was Emory because there's only four schools in the country that actually even have midwifery as a major. Okay. Um, and Emory was um, the only one that had it as a master's program because I wanted, in order to open your own birthing center, you have to be, um, you have to be an, um, an NP. And so because I would not have had that credentialing, I was not able to, and I didn't know what to do. I was just lost and, and here we'd relocated them my whole family and I got three kids and nobody wanted to move. I was the one that pushed for it. And now we're in a place and we are flat broke. And mm -hmm. I just think, God, why, 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 why would you put this on my heart? And my oldest at the time was 13 and he was suffering from migraines from a fall that he had had months previously. And, but we didn't know it was related to the fall. Mm -hmm. It was just two months after the fall, he had developed these really bad migraines and we could not find a solution. And I was all things holistic and granola. So we were doing all the things naturally that I could think of. And when that didn't work, then we went the natural doctor route. And when that didn't work, we went to the traditional MD route. And when that didn't work, I felt like I was out of options. This kid was still suffering and I didn't know what to do. And then a chiropractor introduced herself into our lives. And I thought, thanks. Like, you know, chiropractors, in my mind were for back pain and right. maybe car accidents, even if I ever thought about a chiropractor. And she finally said to me, listen, you've tried everything else. You have done all the things. What would it hurt? Bring your son into our practice where she practiced with her husband and let's see if we can help. And sure enough, that's exactly what we did. And they took x-rays and even I, who never spent any time looking at x-rays, could see that that top bone had shifted so far over, it was pressing up against his brainstem and all those nerves. Mm -hmm. And so when he started getting adjusted and his migraines went away after having one every single day for the past six months, I was so overwhelmed with joy and relief and hope had been reinstilled in my heart that I was like, I want to do this. I want to sit in front of families and give them back the hope that we had been um, blessed with. And so that's what I did. And now it's almost 14 years later and I'm so grateful. I have my own practice and we now see literally hundreds of families uh, all year long. And it's it's wow. been a true blessing. And so I'm really, really excited about that. Wow, I just got chills. It's not, I know it's cold outside, but that, that just gave me chills because there, there are so many people and, and you know, we're talking about you. Well, I'll share my story with you one day. Um, that gave me chills because there are so many people who are searching and, and sometimes the answer is right there in front of us. Yes. And we, we wonder why, you know, why are we led to do this? And then it doesn't work because that just because we feel led to do that, it might be where you're supposed to be. And obviously this is where you were supposed to be, but not doing what you thought you were going to be doing. And so yeah. life is much more fulfilling than it probably even would have been uh, had you done what you felt you wanted to do. That is so beautiful. I, I'm going to have, we're going to have to talk about your, 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 your practice because I might need to be a patient. We'll talk Yay! about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Here, but, <laughs> but tell me, tell me about raised as a lie. Um, where did that title come from? 
that title came from I did, did a little bit of soul searching last year. I'm 49 and I have this complete life event meltdown. Um, a breakup from a man that I thought was my forever man after surviving divorce. Uh, I was married for 22 years and we got divorced and that was tragic because I didn't get married to get divorced. And so I, six years later, I was feeling very lonely and just like, oh my God. And I'm 49 and I start thinking, I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. And I know that that sounds dramatic, but that's exactly what it felt like. Like I had been single for six years and it just, there was no indicators that anything was on the horizon was going to change. And then all of a sudden I meet this man at the same exact time that there's a death in my family. And it shook me to my core because he was a 13 year old and I have my own three kids and I did not know how to navigate those waters. And I met this man at the same time. And for all the wrong reasons, I latched on and I just thought, this is it. This is, this is what I'm, I'm being blessed. The, the universe is just delivering this huge blessing to me. And um, I thought we uh, were both on the same page and it turns out we were not. And when he walked out, I lost it. Like I was, I talk about this in my book. I was down on my knees, begging a man on the floor of the practice that I built. And I was like, what, what, what is happening? Like there's this part of me that's sort of looking down at myself, laying on the floor, completely broken. Like I, I've never been that far. Just, it felt like shattered. And I had to ask myself in that moment, there's a sort of presence of mind that says, who told you that you weren't worthy? Hmm. Who told you that you weren't enough? Who told you you weren't worth staying around for. And so that led me to therapy. But first it was months of just struggling and fighting off the demons that as this strong black woman that I had embodied over the past, you know, 22 years that I I should have the answers. I should have it figured out by now. I should, I should, I should. And yet I didn't. And so through that therapeutic process, um, I just the journals and everything, and that turned into a memoir. And it was looking through some really ugly um, childhood experiences that I had I had made a lot of meanings from, and because I had made things mean um, negative things, I'd internalized all things. I was raised in an all white family, went to all white schools, and um, I didn't have anybody that looked like me. Only nobody um, would answer my questions. And I had an older sister, she's seven years older than me, have an older sister 
who was extremely unhappy in her own life and dealing with her own traumas. And she was a tormentor of mine. And I spent wow. my whole young life listening to how dirty I was and how ugly I was and how unloved I was and how that everybody was going to leave me one night in the middle of the night and I'd wake up and I would be all alone. And, and I didn't realize that that little girl who had made the decisions that she was unworthy was the one that was making decisions as a 49 year old. And I thought if I can work through all of this ugliness and, and peel back the layers to heal myself in the, in through this therapy, then I can write these stories down. And my hope is that other women who have struggled with their own worthiness will be able to identify and relate in these pages. And hopefully I get to inspire them to make the necessary changes in their own life so that they can live their full potential. Wow. I love that. You know, I do a mentoring program and I, I teach this, I teach this course or this, I do this session about self-worth and I, I taught, I, you know, you, you, you have these, you have your babies and, and it's not ideal. Everybody not, not blessed to be born with great parents or a great mother, but you have these parents ideally, and they have this baby and they bring this baby home. And all they say is, oh, you're so pretty. I have three grandchildren. And every time I see them, I was like, hey, pretty girl. Hey, pretty girl. You're beautiful. You're smart. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. And all they hear for the first five years of their lives or the first four years of their lives is how beautiful you are and how, how smart you are. And they have all this confidence. Their babies are confident. They have these confidence and then they leave and go to daycare and they're at daycare the first time. And it's some little, some little child who hasn't gotten that, who's been taught to be, to be mean and cruel and who's been, been bullied as a baby. They see that beautiful child who that's all they know and say, you got a big nose or your lips are big or you're ugly. And they spend the rest of their lives trying to run away from that. You're ugly because that negative thing that we get is more powerful sometimes than that love. And I love what you said about peeling the layers back and we have to do the work to get to a place of healing. And that's what I like about this is giving people the opportunity, even writing stories, helping people to write their stories and share their stories. It, it helps to pull back that layer because you cannot put a bandaid on a stub missile wound and think it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. You can't just keep covering it up because pretty soon you'll fall over that rug that has all those secrets hidden up under it. So right. I absolutely love that. So why, so, so tell me some more about the story and I, and I know it's not out yet, but it will be out. When will it be out? Actually, today is such a great day to be having this interview because I just found out that the, um, the books are shipping and that next Thursday we will be doing the official unboxing. Yay! So I am so Yay! excited. So that's Yay! Thursday, February Third, we are actually doing the um, unboxing in my practice, um, surrounded by people that um, have supported this journey. So I am so excited. I, oh. I just I can't believe that it's you it's fine. You have got to take a picture and scream in the and just do a video and send me a quick video and say, Laquita, look, I got my book. Yeah. 
Yes, I will. That's going to be a wonderful feeling. So tell, tell us a little bit. We don't want to give everything away because listeners, you have to buy the book. You have got to buy the book and we'll tell you how you can find the book and how you can get in touch with Dr. Naimi. Okay. Naima, right? So we'll, we'll get to that, but, but tell us some, share some things about the book um, that were, and, and I, I know with your sister um, being one of your tormentors, that's, that's really deep because sometimes we don't peel the layers back far enough to find out where the source comes from. So what made you, uh, why was it important for you to start telling your story in Raised as a Lie? Do you know what's, I, in the, I'm sighing because there were, there were so many reasons, um, but what I, I'm going to go back for just a few years. I am 32. I am in a, I'm a member of a mom's group for black women. We meet every month for a potluck dinner. We're all sitting around um, one of the members house in the, in her living room. And we're just snacking and chatting before the meeting starts. And I've been a member for over a year, um, come to love and adore these women. And I am the mom of three, just had my third baby. And one of the moms that's sitting next to me, Sophia says, she's talking about her hair journey. Because as black women, we're always talking about our hair, right? And um, my hair is in braids, but I have a, a lot of thick, I have uh, curly hair, like yep. big curls, not kinky yep. curls, but big mm-hmm. curls. And, mm-hmm. and so I've struggled my whole life. You try having a white mother try to do your hair, like whole life, like all the, the mixed kids that you and your listeners are used to think that was me. I didn't have bad hair days. I had bad hair years, like really super bad. Anyways. So she says, she says, oh, you remember those burns you used to get on the back of your ear when your mom used to hot comb your, um, uh, your hair, and you'd be in the kitchen, you could smell the sizzling, you know, burnt hair and you'd be fussing. Your mom would be carrying on, you know, popping you on the top of your head because you won't sit still. And I was like, oh, I was before I was black. And she <laughs> said, what? And I had, again, been friends with these women for over a year and it wasn't something I ever talked about. But in that moment, she asked and something just said, share the story. And so I did. I said, um, I didn't actually find out that I was Black until I was nearly 18. My whole family was white. Nobody looked like me. And I was cornered. We moved to this really small town in Arizona. And the high school kids would go out to in the sand dunes, like really far out in the um, the sand dunes. They build these big bonfires and they drink and do whatever stupid things teenagers do. And I was brand new to uh, the school. It's my senior year. And I get cornered in the cafeteria by these three big brutish looking white dudes. And they threatened to take me out to their hangout and lynch me. And I don't know what lynching means because I've grown up in these white schools and that's not what our history uh, teachers had ever shared with us, but I knew enough to be terrified. And he said, the um, sort of the ring leader said, we'll take you out there and show you what we do to nigger girls. And I remember thinking, you stupid. 
Like I'm not black. And although I had grown up my whole life knowing that I didn't look like my family, I did not have a reference point. I did not, there was nobody in my family that was willing to have the conversations other than the horrible things that my sister used to say um, about me being dirty and unloved. And I, so I didn't, I didn't know, but I knew that I was different, but I just didn't know. And so I go home. My sister has since moved out. And we, um, at that time, we, we had a little less of um, a strained relationship. And I, she was the only person I could think to call. I was terrified. And I was like, look, don't tell mom but this is what happened. And while my sister's tongue is extremely sharp all the time, she always knows the thing to cut you. Um, she didn't say anything. And that was so unlike her. And I just, but she didn't answer the question either. And so she ended up getting off of the phone. And then the next day, my mother summons her, me into her bedroom. And I was like, what is happening? And again, this is just before my 18th birthday. And at this point, my mom now knows that her child's life is being threatened and is in danger. And while she, um, she just couldn't ever find the space to talk about it before she knew at that point she needed to. And so it was then that she told me and admitted finally that the man on the, my birth certificate was not, in fact, um, my biological father, and that um, this biological man was, in fact, Black. And my entire world just sort of spun. It's sort of like those spinning movie cameras, right, where everything just sort of shifted and I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with that information because my, my mother's whole side um, family is Italian and like low-key racist. And I had heard racist jokes and, and slurs my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what did that mean if I was black and mm -hmm. are they not going to love me anymore? And like all of the questions um, and then just like everything else in our family, I buried it and I moved on as if we didn't have the conversation. Wow. So, so other than your, other than your sister, were there, were, was there, how was the treatment with your other siblings? Did they, did they treat you in a way, I know your, your skin is a little darker than their skin. So you had questions, but did they treat you like your sister? Were you, were, uh, and how did your mom treat you and the rest of the family? Did they, did they treat you like an outsider and you, you know, like, why are they treating me this way? And it was just kind of like, I don't know why they're treating me or, or uncle so-and-so then I don't, I don't think he likes me. How, how were you treated by the rest of the family? I was loved just like everybody else. And there, there literally was only my sister that was wow. in my life that was, and any of her bullying never took place in front of adults, right? She was very, very secretive about mm -hmm. that, very manipulative. So she played like she was this great big sister um, when in fact she was not. And I, you know, um, to the adults in my life's, um, sort of defense, I never told anybody ever told them um, how awful she was. Now, there was also 
the reasoning behind that was because I couldn't refute the things that she said. We lived on a farm. When things got dirty, they turned brown, like dirt was everywhere. Like things were dirty. Like that's just life living on a farm. And so I couldn't refute her when she would say that I was dirty and, um, and I didn't have the languaging around like what that, what that meant. And so I just internalized it. Mm -hmm. And I think that because I hid it, there was nobody to intervene on my behalf because my mother certainly would have. Everybody else was just as kind and as loving. Um, and it was, my frustration came from nobody was willing to ever have a conversation about the elephant in the room. We all just walked around as if it did not exist. Walking around but, the elephant. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you gotta scoot, the elephant is so big, it takes up the whole room. So you got to scoot and you got to, I call it walking on eggshells. So sometimes yeah. I'll say, you got your, I got my eggshell shoes on today. So yeah. you got to walk lightly. Um, so, so how, so did you ever, have you, have you had a chance to meet your biological father or that side of the family? I have not. As a matter of fact, I, no? did you say no, no, oh, no, wow. no, no ma'am. So have you tried my, to find them? I have not. I have not. And I talk about it in the book. Gotta read the book. My, gotta read the book. <laughs> Um, but I do talk about it where my mother's story, you know how we do, yeah. my mother's story slightly shifted when I went back and asked her again, because then I was interested in finding him. And then all of a sudden it became, well, that's probably not his name. It was a stage name because he was um, a guitar player, a guitar. He was a drummer for a band and because he was a performer, you know, during the seventies, it was really popular to change your name and, you know, and where was he from? And she wasn't really sure and like all the things, right? And so then it became like, well, I, and this, Mind you, when I'm asking, this is 89, 90. I mean, th this ancestry.com didn't exist. Right. And, and so because she would shut me down, um, I had two different conversations. And my mother was a matriarch. My mother was the one who ruled the roost. Mm -hmm. And what Sandy said is what went, right? And there were no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And so the blessing was, that when I was in third grade, my mother had uh, remarriage. So she divorced my brother's, my younger brother's father, who was not a nice human being. Mm -hmm. um, and she got remarried to a phenomenal human being. Mm -hmm. um, and he did the job and he got the title and we called him dad. And he probably was the most incredible man that I have ever had the pleasure of knowing. And I was not lacking or wanting for wow. a father. Wow. Wow. And so I just wow. didn't have the motivation. Now I have been asked <laughs> since I've written this book, um, you know, if I'm if I'm interested in pursuing that. And I and I gotta say, in all honesty, there is part of me that is really curious yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. You there, you know, there's that curiosity of you know, where, where do I, where did I come from? What, what does the other side, um, what, what are they like? 
you know, what's my grandmother like? What, what's he like? Um, did he even know that I existed? And if he, and then, and then it's kind of like, it opens up a door of so many, you know, you, you, you kind of, I, I get it. You kind of torn because it opens up a Pandora's box. And the more questions you ask, the more questions you have. And then there's the, there, there's so, so much anxiety behind the, you know, getting those answers. And sometimes it's like, you know, do I really want to know? I think that's beautiful because there are so many people who don't get that story. They don't get that, you know, they, they have where it wasn't just the sister, it was all of the siblings. And then, then my mom, and then, you know, my mom was angry. And then there's my, you know, my, my uncle and my grandmother and they, and so that's beautiful. I, I like that you did, you got that part of the story. You got the good part. And, and that helps because I think maybe if you had gotten the bad part of the bad treatment, you'd be like, you know, I know there are people who would treat me better. So I want to find these people and you kind of have a, um, in uh, what is an Antoine Fisher moment? Yes. <laughs> you no. know? And I think that that's very real. And that's not to say that unintentionally, um, very negative things were said and repeated often because you know, all of my cousins and, you know, my aunts, they all, um, except one have very straight hair. And Mm -hmm. so my hair was always a problem. And there were always these negative comments that were made around it. And it was always, you know, the, the mop and the, um, you know, rat's nest. And, and so there were very negative attributes. Um, you know, when I was a little bit older and my cousins and I were figuring out makeup, it was like, why does your nose look like that? Your lips are, you know, so thick. And they, be, it, it, and they were just, there were little comments. I think that they're sort of like the subconscious things that come out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. And I never believed though, that they were ever malintended. Right. 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 Um, right. I think everybody you know, save my sister. I believe that every, all of my family loved me and they did the best that they could with what they had and knew at the time. Mm-hmm. And there were some really hurtful things that have been said over the years that my little child's brain latched onto a lot mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what you were sharing mm-hmm. about, yeah. you know, your, your grandchildren and knowing that, these little negative things get deposited and and they're like little seeds that that you don't even realize that there's fertile soil in our minds and in our hearts that we allow this sort of negative vine to wrap around, you know, what we believe about ourselves. And we start believing these really ridiculous negative things. And they shape our self-worth. So do you think that that played a part in when you shared earlier uh, about the relationship and you not 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 having the the strength at the time to let that relationship go and to be okay with the walkout? So do you think that what you went through and all of the I call them um, I, I call them conversations, all of the conversations that were going on in your brain? Do you think that that affected your your self worth and being able to say, okay, you want to go? Let me let you go and be okay with that because you are enough. Do you think all of that that happened and then the taunting, because uh, it, it's, it's, like it's like a reel that replays over and over in your head. And when you think, you, you think you've gone, it's, it's like you bump your, you, you hit your, your toe and you, you know, it hurts so bad you see stars and then it's okay. And then you go and you hit that same toe again and you relive that pain over and over again. Is that is that similar to what happened? 
Almost exactly, almost exactly. And, um, and I actually, the way that I wrote the, the book in, in narrating these, these stories, there was so much that I hadn't realized that that reel that you spoke of was playing in my mind as I was going back through therapy and really, really just getting to the root of what was I thinking in that moment. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot say enough great things about my therapist because what I believe is that when you have a skilled professional that helps you navigate through those very windy, sometimes treacherous mental roads that gives you the proper, the questions that you need to be asking yourself when you're in that moment, like mm -hmm. you're there now, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And that's the time that you really get to make those connections. Like, wait a minute, that was what I made mean from that. Because in that moment, I was hearing I'll tell you what we're going to do to nigger girls. Or is that your mommy when I'm standing? Where's your mommy? And I'm standing right next to her. Or, you know, we can't send you home with that man. That's not your dad. That's not your uncle, right? Like, what? So right. all of those times when things were, were sort of running and playing in my mind and my memory, they were right there present. Oftentimes we drag the history into our present moment. And then we make decisions in that present moment based off of nothing that's happening in the present moment. It's all about, you know, this, these sort of historical traumas. And, and what I know now that childhood traumas absolutely shape how we function and the decisions we make as an adult. And I had just decided at 49, enough was enough. Damn it. <laughs> you know, I, I went through some, when I was, when I was a child, I went to um, have some surgery. I went in the hospital to have my tonsils removed. And the doctor said, it's, it's going to be a simple procedure. You'll get your tonsils, tonsils out and go home. Told my mom to go home to have ice cream. Well, the tonsillectomy was a success. And, but a nurse came into my room while my mom had left through the night and jabbed me in the thigh with a needle and it poisoned the bone in my leg and left me crippled for life. And I ended up having, when my mom got back, cause they didn't have cell phones at that time. I was four years old. When my mom got back, they were rushing me to the OR and they were telling her if we don't get her to the OR to amputate her leg, her leg is going to burst and she's going to die. And so they, so from that point, they found out they didn't have to amputate. They removed the bone. It left my, my leg, my foot deformed. I was four from that point to 11. I had 14 surgeries on my right leg and foot. Um, that, that led to a tsunami effect. I call it a medical tsunami um, that has not yet ended. So from the age of four and I'm 52 right now, I don't know a day without pain. So it is, in, it, and, and that's what people have to understand. It is impossible to go through things in your childhood, to go through the type of trauma that you've gone through and the type of trauma that I've gone through and not, and not be affected. Um, I, when you, when somebody, when you going through, somebody looks at your skin as you're standing next to your whole family, they're going to immediately point, you're the bullseye. They're going to yeah. point you out. And you're like, everybody's looking at me. Everybody's looking at me with me because I was a little cripple girl. And mm -hmm. I wore, I was the first Forrest Gump girl. I wore braces that clicked and clacked and I was picked out to be picked on. And as I got older, I thought everybody's looking at my leg. 
everybody's looking mm -hmm. at my leg. And then I couldn't run and exercise and play like everybody else. So, you know, now I'm the chubby girl. And as I grew older, talk about going to the doctor. I, I, I don't, I, it's, it's like an overwhelming effect when I go to the doctor because I don't do needles. So mm -hmm. when you go through, uh, and then you have to get help. And I like what you said about getting somebody who is, who is, um, who is licensed, somebody who has the ability to help you through those times, you know, and not, you know, um, your girlfriend down the street is good to talk to, but right, right. you need somebody that's going to maneuver that. professional, somebody that's, that's professional. To exactly. So how is it? So what advice would you give to someone um, who's struggling? Because that, that messes with your identity and, and your worthiness, because I have to constantly take this mirror and I keep a mirror on my desk. I have to constantly take this mirror and I'm looking in this mirror and I say, I love myself. And I have to say, I am good enough. And my skin, you know, you guys can't see what our skin colors look like, but you know, we're both black women and my skin is dark and she has braids in her hair, but we, we both have curly hair and it's thick curly hair, but we are both beautiful women. And we have gone through things that, that challenges our self-worth. And we have to constantly, it's, it's work you have to do. It's not like you wake up and say, okay, hey, I'm okay today and I'm going to be okay tomorrow. No, you have to take one step at a time because some days, uh, Dr. Naomi, Naimi, Naima, I'm sorry, yes. Yes. Naima, I'm not okay. Some yes. days I am not okay. So yeah. how would you, so, so let's, let's, let's give this scene. And, and this is a great conversation. Um, so you have a, you have a patient that comes in to see you and you recognize some of the things that you've gone through in this person, and you've got to help them get past that stuff before you can help them. How do you, what advice would you give them when you, when you know that there's somebody who's struggling with their worthiness and their identity? What's, what advice would you give them? I think the best, I think the, the best that we can ever do for ourselves is to get quiet and to be very mindful of where we are presently. I think that the demons that we all sort of must slay ultimately in our minds and our own hearts are all inside, right? We have, we've sort of, you know, we internalize some external experiences that we have had, but at the end of the day, we are all responsible for our own mental well-being. While we might employ professionals and a team of supporters, meaning that support team, how, whatever that looks like, whether, you know, it's a combination of, you know, girlfriends, professionals, where we go to yoga, where, you know, we run, for example, like whatever the thing is that you use for therapy, recognizing that you are responsible for your well-being. Nobody else is. And because nobody else is responsible for your well-being, nobody else is coming to your rescue. Nobody's going to come to save you. It is not their job. It is your job to work on healing yourself in whatever path that looks like so that you can show up 
for the rest of the world. So this is my belief. My belief is, is that we are not here as human beings um, having these human experiences to get anything. I think that we are here as our journey and our path and our gifts is to give things. We are here to bless other people. We are here to bless our planet. We are here to bless our family in our communities. And we cannot do that from a broken place. We cannot do that from the uh, from a place of less than our fullest potential. And the longer that you, dear listeners, spend wallowing in what coulda, shoulda, might have been the less time that you're going to have to live that amazing, phenomenal journey that you should be, hmm, I just said should, I, I my, my greatest get, wish for you is that you stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> and instead, you make choices from a very conscious place for the things that you have inside of you that should be shared. So I think for me, the the gift that I was re-reminded, because this is the other thing that I know to be true about all of us, all of the answers come from our inside, all of our very intuitive, innate voice that comes from inside. It's our job to get still enough and quiet enough so that we can actually hear it. And spending some very intentional, mindful moments, meaning that I am here present. So if you're sitting, that you feel your back up against the chair, if you're if you're in a chair, your bottom, whatever it's being supported, that you feel the clothes on your skin, that you take deep breaths, you can feel, you know, your stomach extending and um, contracting, that you feel the air coming through your nose. Like we have to be very intentional about how mindful that we can get to the present moment, because in the present moment, the past isn't happening. The future hasn't happened. We're just in the present moment, but we live the majority of our present moments somewhere in the past or in the future. But if we could choose to get mindful, to get present, I think that we make much better choices from that place because then you're not in defense or offense, you're just present. And in that present moment that you can show up for not only yourselves, but those around you, and you then can love, you can give, you can support from a place of abundance. Your cup is full because you filled your own cup. You weren't waiting for somebody to fill that cup that is your responsibility. Wow. Wow. You heard it here. I mean, I, that was beautiful. I can sit here and talk to you all day long. This has been amazing. You know, I always say there is somebody waiting on the other side of your story so they can heal from their story. Our responsibility is to survive our existence so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. What went on in your life um, raised as a lie was not about you as much as it happened to you. It was not about you. It's about that somebody, there's somebody that's listening that's gonna hear a sigh of relief 
And you know how you're looking for something. He's like, I'm going to the store. I know I want something. I'm a thrifter. So when I go to the thrift store, I'm just going to look, but I know that I'm looking for something. Don't quite know what it is until I have it in my hand. And some listeners have just figured out what it was that they needed. They needed to hear what you just said. So it is your responsibility. If you're listening to me, it is your responsibility to heal from where you are so that you can be a blessing to help somebody else heal. This has been amazing. Um, Dr. Naimi, Naima, I, I'm sorry, I'm gonna get it right before we end. <laughs> I know that's right. I know um, that's right. Tell us how we can get in touch with you. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Awesome. Absolutely. So the best place um, to find out more information about the book and what's happening with me is to go to our website, which is raisedasalie.com. And you can always find me on Instagram at Dr. Naima Writes, which is D-R-N-A-E-E-M-A-R-W-R-I-T-E-S. Dr. Naima writes with an S on the end, <laughs> Instagram. Okay. And we'll have it when, when we download, we'll have it. So they'll be able to click on it. And where's your practice located? So if somebody's, somebody's needing a chiropractor, where would they, how would they connect with you and um, come out to see you? So we are in Roswell, Georgia, North Atlanta. And um, um, the name of my practice is Elevate family chiropractic so you can find us at um on facebook or instagram at elevate family chiropractic and um thank you it has been such an honor to be on your show well i am so grateful that you had the time to spend a little time with us this afternoon i've been blessed uh, I can't wait to read the book. I am going to go make sure you go online to raiseasalie.com and the book is in pre-order now and pre-order your copy of the book and read the book. And, you know, Dr. Na Na Naimi, Naima, we are, uh, I'm doing a book club and I would love for your book to be one of the books that we read in the book club. So we'll Thank talk, you. we'll talk more about that, but this has been another wonderful episode of my heart on pages and I am Laquita Parks. I am your host. I am also the owner of PayProV Publishing. PayProV means pain, progress, victory, because without pain, there is no progress. And without progress, there can be no victory. So if you have a story and I know you do, and you need some help with it, call me. You can reach me on, um, and the website, uh, paprovipublishing.com. Um, send me a message and I can help you. And if you need to get in touch with Dr. Naima, then I can help you get in touch with her as well. It has been a pleasure. Is there anything you want to say to the listeners before we go? Any last words? Yes. I challenge you to live your life outrageously vulnerable. Vulnerability is your superpower. Awesome. Thank you so much. And until next time, my heart on pages, we will see you next time. Thank you so much.